0: Stuff Podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Wright and welcome to The Long Read from Stuff. We are back from our late holiday break with a story, maybe the oldest story we've ever had on The Long Read. It's called The Killing of James Dorgan. It was written by Timaru Herald reporter Chris Tobin. Joining me now to introduce this story is the editor of the Timaru Herald, Brooke Black. Hi, Brooke. Hello, how are you? I'm good. The killing of James Dorgan just set this up for us. Uh, Who was James Dorgan and, and what happened to him?
1: Well, uh, Constable James Dorgan was a 37-year-old police officer working in Timaru. Uh, He is one of the 33 police officers killed on duty since 1890 in New Zealand. And interestingly, his is the only case
0: which remains unsolved. So, yeah, it's unsolved. But as we'll hear, there's a bit more to it than that. Uh, James Dorgan was killed inspecting a possible burglary in downtown Timaru this night back in in 1921. And as we'll hear, some of the people close to him may have been responsible or connected to his death. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's right. So, you know, over the years, uh, rumours have persisted, certain rumours, and certainly uh, rumours about the role of some of those who witnessed the crime or were there in the moments after the shooting have been some of the strongest. Uh, and they have cast a shadow over uh, another serving police officer at the time and uh, a former Timaru Herald Storman.
0: So this crime happened, like I say, a long time ago. The centenary was last year. There's been a lot of interest in this in Timaru over the years, uh, particularly with Dorgan's family, and and there's been some developments to to sort of memorialise and remember him 100 years on. Tell us a bit about that.
1: Yeah, that's right. So uh, last year, uh, at the 100th um, anniversary of James Dorgan's death, the family gathered and unveiled a plaque at the site of his death in Timaru. Uh, He has a lot of uh, surviving family members who are very much still interested. I know uh, some families still, you know, look at the site as they pass it while they're in Timaru. Um, It's certainly something that hasn't been forgotten, despite it happening 100 years ago.
0: All right, thanks, Brooke. Let's get into it now. Here is me reading the story, The Killing of James Dorgan. The narrow lane just off Stafford Street in downtown Timaru doesn't amount to much. Wedged in between a department store and a travel agent, it's wide enough for a single lane of parking access. A sign painted on the ground sternly warns which shop's customers are permitted entry. But a hundred years ago, it was the scene of one of New Zealand's most notorious crimes. In the early hours of August 27th, 1921, it was where Constable James Dorgan, aged 37, was shot dead. 33 New Zealand police officers have been slain while on duty, from Constable Neil MacLeod in 1890 up to Constable Matthew Hunt in 2020. Constable Dorgan's case is the only one still unsolved. It's generally believed Dorgan died trying to stop a break-in at Thompson's drapery store and a burglar shot him before escaping. But there are lingering uncertainties. At 9pm on August 26, 1921, a few hours before the killing, Dorgan and two other police officers went out on their beats around central Timaru. Constable Thomas Christopher, aged 29, was on the number two beat, from the Arcade to the Dominion Hotel. Dorgan was on the southern part of the main street, from the Arcade to the Commercial Hotel, and Constable Sidney McCulloch, 21 and recently transferred from Wellington, was patrolling the back streets. The official version of what happened that night is based largely on the accounts of Constable Christopher. When checking Thompson's drapery just after midnight, Christopher saw a light on inside and brown paper covering the front door windows. He alerted Dorgan, who was patrolling further down the street by flashing a signal with his torch. Dorgan arrived. As the senior constable, he told Christopher to go down a side alley and check the back of the store. Christopher did so and was away for 10 minutes. In the meantime, the inside light had gone out and come back on. Dorgan then told Christopher to go to the shop owner, Thomas Thompson's house, about 200 metres away, to tell him someone was in the store. Christopher was returning from Thompson's home when he heard four shots. Then he saw Dorgan staggering down the alleyway. Dorgan collapsed in his arms. Dorgan had been shot once in the chest. Three other bullets had missed him, although one went through the front of his helmet. This account was published in the Timaru Herald after the murder and in Christopher's statement to the coroner. The Herald also reported comments of a Mr. Dephoff, one of the first on the scene. Passing the Old Bank Hotel further down Stafford Street, Dephoff said he saw flashing torches at Thompson's store. Once he reached the shop, he saw Constables Christopher and McCulloch standing and the wounded man lying. He asked if he could render assistance and suggested the telephone. He was told a constable had telephoned the police station and a doctor. The deceased was still alive. Police later obtained at least one statement saying three people, Eleanor Cloudsley, a Miss Stringer and a Mr. Jones, followed Christopher back to the scene after he had gone to Thompson's home. Contrary to Dephoff's account, this statement said Constable McCulloch arrived to find Cloudsley comforting Dorgan. "'What is the matter, Jim?' McCulloch asked. "'I've been shot, Mac. "'I don't know who it is, as he got me in the backyard.'" Dephoff, the man early on the scene, never mentioned a woman comforting Dorgan, only the presence of the police officers. There were also different times given in the important early statements taken, which seemed to cast doubt on Constable Christopher's account. In his statement to the coroner, Christopher said he was 20 yards from the alleyway gate when he heard the four shots. He said the time was 10 minutes past one. Thompson's statement to the coroner, however, said he had been woken at 1.15am by his servant, saying someone was at the front door. By this timeline, Dorgan would have been shot before Christopher ran the 200 metres to alert Thompson. McCulloch never gave a statement to the coroner. The Herald reported that he was in the vicinity of Barnard Street or near the post office when the shots were fired about three or four hundred metres away. As he lay dying, Dorgan never identified his killer. Christopher quoted him saying, He fired four shots at me and ran up the back. I'm thirsty. Get me a drink of water, please. I know I'm done. Depoff said that Dorgan said, I'm done, and continued incoherently. Thompson, who also went to the scene, heard him say something similar, I am a done man, or I am done, and also, they are slow with the doctor, or something to that effect. The Timaru Herald praised the Irish-born Dorgan as being a fair and decent man who was never one to be afraid of anything or anybody. He had been one of the first officers on the scene of a killing a few months earlier, and had arrested a gunman at the Timaru Wharf after shots were fired. The paper called his death another ruthless murder. Two years earlier in Wellington, Constable Vivian Dudding had been shot with an automatic pistol in a domestic dispute. After this, the government passed the Arms Act 1920, but the spate of shootings continued. Soldiers returning from World War I brought home guns as souvenirs. The number of unlawfully held firearms soared and criminals became more inclined to carry them. Timaru, population 13,230, with 40 police in the district, could also be a tough town for a cop. In April 1920, A mob of more than 300 people attacked Chinese fruit shops they believed unfairly competed with the businesses of returning soldiers. One afternoon in July 1919, Dorgan ended up in a brawl while arresting a drunk who became violent. A crowd gathered, some of whom called on the drunk to fight Dorgan. Both men were strongly built. The Timaru Herald said the pair... Struggled long and violently, the man appearing to sober in his fight for freedom. Several times, the two men fell and both were bleeding. Dorgan called on onlookers to help him handcuff the drunk. Instead, they jeered when a government employee stepped in. Then a mounted policeman arrived and an arrest was made. Dorgan's killer appeared not to have gone to Thompson's drapery to steal money. Two bags were left next to a door at the back of the shop. One contained a suit. The other was filled with shirts, socks and ties. Having died for a few clothes added to the outrage over Dorgan's death, as did the fact he left a wife, Mary or Minnie, who had poor health and three children all aged under five. A few days after Dorgan's funeral at the Sacred Heart Basilica, described as probably the biggest Timaru had seen, the police published a large advertisement in the Timaru Herald, headlined, Murder. It offered a £250 reward for information. The money was never claimed. The Police Fingerprint Bureau fingerprinted port workers, hotel employees and many others. But no arrest was made. The heat went on from top brass. If police couldn't solve the murder of one of their own, what confidence would the public have in them? A prime suspect emerged. Albert Lamb, a storeman at the Timaru Herald who had been sacked from Thompson's store... 18 months earlier for stealing. He quickly left town after being seen in Timaru on the morning before the murder. A detective tracked Lamb down to a remote settlement 60 kilometres from Tomaranui in the North Island. Lamb said he left Timaru a week before the murder and had a ferry ticket to prove it. Relatives in Auckland and fellow residents in his boarding house, backed up his claims. The next year, Lamb would be convicted of fraud and jailed. The police instead shifted their inquiries to another man Lamb said murdered Dorgan, Oswald Rooney. Rooney, aged 20, had boasted that Thompson's shop was easy to burgle. The year before, he had gone on a crime spree around Timaru with an accomplice, Alan Rudge, breaking into seven premises and stealing hundreds of pounds worth of goods, including jewellery and an automatic pistol. Rooney denied killing Dorgan. Senior Sergeant Fahey, a lead officer on the case, firmly believed Rooney had committed the crime with an associate, probably Rudge. But nothing could be proven. Rooney spent the rest of his life in Timaru and died in 1974. Hi, Michael Wright here. If you're enjoying this podcast, maybe you'd like to check out one of our others. Collapse is the story of the CTV building, which collapsed in the Christchurch earthquake in 2011, killing 115 people.
1: We have a building on fire with persons trapped that we're trying to get
0: out. It's the story of one tragedy in a city full of them. About how a building went up. that shouldn't have got through council. How it came down. And this level collapsed first. The people who were saved. She went from, I'm going to die, to a realisation, I'm going to live. And the 115 who weren't. This is a grown man in tears, because they couldn't rescue these people. It's also a story about a search for the truth. Why did one unremarkable office building in the central city collapse like no other? How did almost two-thirds of Christchurch's entire earthquake death toll die in this one building? And most of all, was anyone responsible? Go to stuff.co.nz slash collapse, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
1: If I don't get fire service here soon, they're going to die from the fire.
0: Most of what happened that tragic evening depended on the account of Constable Christopher, But recently unearthed material on Christopher's military career casts doubt on his reliability. Christopher was a World War I veteran. When New Zealand troops evacuated from Gallipoli in December 1915, Christopher, a lieutenant in the Canterbury Infantry, had been accused of being drunk in command of his detachment he denied the charge at a general court-martial, saying he had been ill and was acquitted. A few weeks later, there were reports of him being drunk and guilty of objectionable behaviour in a private house. His battalion commander wrote to General Alexander Godley, the commander of the New Zealand Expeditionary Force, that Christopher was irreclaimable, useless as an officer, probably mentally deficient, or wanting in self-control. If a charge was made, conviction was certain, the battalion commander said. Instead of charging Christopher, Godley had him sent back to New Zealand and discharged from the army. The public never knew. Newspapers reported that Christopher had contracted an illness and was invalid at home. He remained on the New Zealand army reserve list as a lieutenant, until five days after the Dorgan killing, when he was placed on the retired list. A year after Dorgan's death, Christopher left the police. He moved to the West Coast with a man named Frederick Thomas. They sold clothing. By 1923, Thomas had opened a Manchester and Draper shop in Greymouth while Christopher was the head of the Manchester Department in a rival store. Christopher's boss eventually became suspicious about stock disappearing. One day, he watched and caught Christopher stealing and handing over a parcel of towels to Thomas in a back alley behind his shop. Police searched Christopher's home and found an unregistered six-chambered Webley service revolver. The gun had earlier been registered in Timaru. Christopher pleaded guilty to charges of theft and having an unregistered firearm. His lawyer sought leniency because Christopher had a wife and three young children. The judge said the thefts were serious and agreed with a detective sergeant who observed that Christopher was a dangerous man to be in possession of a revolver. The judge gave him two years probation, ordered restitution to the employer and the gun to be confiscated. Following Christopher's conviction, the police commissioner in Wellington asked detectives to consider him a suspect in Dorgan's death. The case was reviewed, but it ended when Timaru detectives said statements from Eleanor Cloudsley and her two friends corroborated that Christopher ran past them around the time the shots were fired. Also, police said footprints near the murder scene did not match Christopher's. A 2010 book, Shot in the Dark, Unsolved New Zealand Murders from the 1920s and 1930s, portrays Christopher favourably and as being Dorgan's friend. But rumours Christopher was connected to Dorgan's death and that he had been working with someone, probably Albert Lamb, persisted. Christopher and Lamb knew each other. Christopher had testified in court when Lamb was charged with stealing from Thompsons. And the circumstantial evidence against Lamb was strong. Before the shooting, he had been boarding at the Empire Hotel in Stafford Street, operated by Thomas Cloudsley, likely the husband of Eleanor Cloudsley, one of the witnesses who put Christopher several hundred metres away when Dorgan was shot. When Lamb was arrested for theft from Thompsons, it was found he'd been stealing for months, stockpiling mainly men's clothing in a room at the Empire, that he planned to sell in a business in Tamuka. Also, when he was arrested, he had two keys in a coat pocket, one of which opened a door into the alleyway where Dorgan was shot. The door was near the menswear department where Lamb had worked. Other factors pointed to Lamb, too. He had not been convicted of stealing from Thompson's, but he held a grudge against Thompson ever since and swore he would get even. He knew the layout of the store. Nothing was disturbed during the burglary and things were put away to make it hard to detect anything had been stolen. He had keys. Thompson had locked all the doors earlier that evening and he owned a motorcycle. A loud one had been heard in the vicinity after the shooting. But the rumours remained just that. Nothing was ever proven. Thomas Christopher died in Wellington in 1965. Albert Lamb's date of death is unknown. Dorgan's granddaughter, Rose Strawn, heard the rumours about Christopher. Once, as a dental school student, she was pulled aside by a lecturer and asked if she knew the story. The rumours could have been put to rest when the New Zealand Police Museum reanalyzed fingerprints taken from a pane of glass at the crime scene in 1921, but there was no match. Hundreds of people's fingerprints were taken to eliminate them, museum director Rowan Carroll said. That doesn't mean, however, that they were the killer's fingerprints. The centenary of Dorgan's death was marked on August 27, 2021. A plaque was unveiled in the alleyway where he died. Police Minister Porto Williams and Police Commissioner Andrew Costa were to attend along with more than 40 of Dorgan's descendants from around the country and Australia. But COVID-19 put a stop to that. Instead, a smaller group attended a ceremony on Police Remembrance Day, September 29th. Strawn and Ardaki Area Commander Dave Gaskin unveiled the plaque. Gaskin had read the police report of the case which he said indicated who committed the crime. I'm not going to name them, he said, since no charges were laid. With the advances in criminal investigation techniques since then, there would probably have been a result. After her husband's death, Minnie Dorgan, in poor health and with three young children to raise, faced a hard life. However, public subscriptions around the country raised enough money to buy her family a home on Heaton Street and for a large headstone on her husband's grave. She died at Timaru's Home of Compassion in 1973, aged 81. She is buried with her husband in Timaru Cemetery. She outlived all three of her children. Strawn remembers her as a tall stately woman who never spoke of the tragedy which overshadowed her life. Angela Climo said her great-grandfather's name has been carried through the generations. Climo's father was Brian James Dorgan. Her brother is Craig James Dorgan and a nephew is Matthew James Dorgan. As a great-grandchild she said I knew of it, and there are great-great-grandchildren around who are all aware of it. We keep James's memory alive. And decades later, at least one person never forgot the significance of the nondescript lane off Stafford Street, next to what is now Farmer's Department Store. Clemo said when she was young, her father would always point out the spot where Dorgan had died. He later got dementia, she said, and was in a wheelchair. But even then, going up Stafford Street, he'd point a finger at the alleyway. That was The Killing of James Dorgan on The Long Read from Stuff written by Chris Tobin and read and produced by me Michael Wright This episode was mixed by Sam Scannell Stuff's podcast director is Adam Dudding If you listened via our website you can hear this story and more like it on The Long Read podcast available on all the usual platforms If you like what you heard please give us a 5 star rating and a review It helps other listeners find us